welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I am Joe Boris here with Clean Technica CEO Zachary Shahan, and of course, our contributing writer, Steve Hanley. I'm sure you guys have all been familiar with Steve's work writing about the auto industry the last couple of years. He's a great addition. It's good to have him here. Today, we want to talk about a little bit about subscription offerings in the automotive space, mobility as a service. We touched on this a little bit in our episode two of Snow Lake Lithium, where we were talking about just the simple fact that there's not enough raw materials to maintain the same level of vehicle production that we have today, unless something changes. And then the question naturally became, what does that make the ownership model in 10, 15, 20 years look like? And we've had some pretty lively discussions in our Clean Technica EV groups and on the Discord, talking about some of the different ways that this is manifesting in the automotive space and in conversations like robo-taxis, mobility as a service, and ultimately a subscription model of ownership where you're essentially subscribing to mobility rather than paying a car that you would eventually own. I think in the meantime, Steve, you wrote an article about VinFast, which is a Vietnamese EV manufacturer that's starting to make some progress, some inroads into the United States, and the fact that you can buy a VinFast vehicle but it doesn't come with a battery. You have to then subscribe to the battery service. Have you guys been following that at all? Well, there's a number of things going on in the space. Binfast has their own model, and it's different than anybody else in the industry that I have been able to come across. Battery swapping and battery yeah. leasing are common and, and expanding in China. Cattle has gotten into battery swapping. Neo, I think now has over a thousand battery swapping stations, or there's more than a thousand in all of China. That's right. Um, they're doing quite a good job with that. And I think they're also building a couple of battery swap stations in Norway, where they're beginning to make, uh, sell their cars. The VinFast experience is different. It, it There's no battery swapping involved. Uh, you keep the same battery. And the upside of the lease program is that if the battery fails, it's the company's problem, not the owner. That's interesting. So, but do you ever, you never actually own the battery though, right? So if I have the car for three years or five years, they have essentially a recurring revenue stream from me as the customer, because I can never truly say that I own the battery or, or well, am I missing something? Well, this this has been a major offering from Renault uh, with the Zoe for a long time in Europe. They've actually mo started moving uh, somewhat recently in the past year or so, moving away from that for finally after years of offering that. So that it was sort of just a case of, I, I guess, people I don't know, not preferring it or Renault not preferring it. I forget the have to get Martin Vinkhausen on to talk about that more, but uh <laughs> But that, but Steve, are you is VinFast then trying to bring that model to the U.S.? That is what they're saying. Yeah, that that's hugely interesting because I think it's going to be a big ask for a lot of Americans, and not, and and I think you know 
Zachary and I always try to make this a generational thing, right? Like the millennials and the Gen Xers, right? So I think now we've got a millennial, a Gen Xer, and a, a, a baby boomer on this conversation. Is it going to be you're, hard? You're very kind, Joe. Poor, <laughs> poor little baby Steve. <laughs> baby Steve. I think that's a fair statement. Is Do you think, you know, like I always have this conversation with people and they talk about, you know, Chinese cars are going to be junk and they kind of dismiss the entire Chinese market. And I think what we've seen being in the industry is that no, China is really doing an excellent job. They're building quality products. You know, if you look at a company like Polestar, if you look at companies like Honda that have been building the fit in China since about 2014, they're really building some high quality stuff. And I think that that's still for like, you know, what, what I'll call middle America, right? Anything between the two coasts, that's still something that they're trying to wrap their head around is that the Chinese can build a good product. So where does that leave, you know, Vietnam? Are they going to have to, are they going to struggle at all trying to convince people that, you know, especially in the United States, that Vietnam is a manufacturer of high quality product? Like, is that an issue at all that's going to come up? And is this kind of, is that enough of an obstacle in and of itself that this battery leasing is almost a distraction from it? Well, I'll, I'll let Steve answer that in a second, but I would just also give the, the background that, you know, we're also we're in this transition from not just gas to electric, but from, you know, dumb cars to smart cars. You know, that's how especially Xpeng in China loves. They, they always want to be called a smart electric vehicle company, not just an electric vehicle company. It's all these, you know, the cars are getting more and more connected more and more infotainment in them. Steve can, can maybe go on a rant about that perhaps because I think he's he's not always a fan of that. But the Chinese have been way above the Western automakers. Um, I mean, along with Tesla, of course, as you know, building these more computers on wheels, connected cars. And then that just opens the doors to subscriptions of all kinds of things much more than the previous you know t- t- system. Steve, now do you want to go on further on that topic or answering what you think about Chinese and Vietnamese brands making it in in the U S and Europe as well. Well, there's a, there are interesting cultural cross currents here. When the Japanese first started bringing cars to the United States in the fifties, there were a lot of people who were opposed to buying a Japanese car, just as there were many people who were opposed to buying a German car after world war II. That's right. it took several generations for I, my father would never buy a Honda. Uh, he absolutely refused to consider the, uh, the the prospect of a Toyota or a Honda, a Mazda, or any Japanese car. Vietnam is a little bit different in that they were never an aggressor against the United States or against our military forces, and so they don't. They've avoided the stigma of being a former enemy. What exactly they're position is in American culture, I, I honestly don't know. When I talk to people about my experience as a uh, member of the military, where I had an opportunity to visit Vietnam uh, against, <laughs> against, against my will. My will. Against yeah, my no. Dad. I don't think uh, this is not, the, not a five-star holiday. No, no. But, but most of the people alive in America today think of Vietnam the way uh, I think of the Crimean War. It's like an afterthought. It's like, huh, who cares? That's ancient history, man. So I don't know that VinFast faces any cultural issues from that regard. I do, however, think that this battery leasing program is rather complex and difficult for people to wrap their head around. I had the opportunity to spend 
five or six years as a professional car salesman. I like to tell people I'm one of the few people I know who raised is standing the community by going from practicing law to becoming a car salesman. Um, and I, I That's just, a savage lawyer joke, by the way. For no, those of is. you listening to this, that is like an epic, savage lawyer burn. <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, was so, it was so quick and smooth that you, so could, you could miss it. <laughs> but yeah. I've seen it in write, writing before. Which is, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like I've improved the standards of the community. I eliminated a lawyer and put in a used car salesman. That's so good. Well, it's it, you know it's hard to understand that is any. I mean, used car salesmen are not held in high esteem, but lawyers are 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 lower than that. So that's right. And from my perspective, deservedly so. But I'm sure others will will uh, disagree with me. In any event, I the lesson that I always learned from sales was customers who have questions don't buy. And I think hmm. that the, the battery leasing program leaves people with a lot of questions. And I think that means a lot of people are not going to buy because they will have unanswered questions. That's very interesting. I had a different, well, first of all, I would just like to say, you know, uh, you referenced the Crimean war, which is from the war from 1853 to 1856. You were not offhandedly uh, writing off the, invasion of Crimea <laughs> that recently occurred, Russia no, no. invading Crimea, which I know you wouldn't do, but someone might have misunderstood if they weren't aware of the Crimean War from uh, to almost 200 years ago. But as far as the options, the thing I was thinking was, you know, people love choice and some people want this, some people want that. And having the options always going to expand the market. But then you raise a good point. The more choice, the more people get confused and have questions, which slows down so, you know, market adoption of new technologies sometimes. So it's an interesting little conundrum there, if it helps more or not. Uh, Joe? I think, I, I think what VinFast is trying to do is to address, my wife and I were at an Earth Day uh, event last Saturday, and we just took our Tesla and we talked to people. And we said, if you have any questions about electric cars, here's your chance. We're not selling anything. We don't have an agenda. We're here to provide information. What do you want to know? And over and over again, we heard, well, what about the battery? What about the battery? How far, how long does the battery last? How long does it cost to, uh, how much does it cost to replace the battery? People are very concerned about the battery. I trace it back to the original experience with the, uh, the 2010 and 2011 Nissan Leaf, which had serious issues, particularly in the Southwest where the climate is hot and dry. And, you know, those urban legends live on forever. People yeah. still say oh those batteries you know they don't last well actually they do last but anecdotally the word in the community is that's a problem you got to watch out for these batteries and i think binfast is trying to take that pain away this is the right way to do it i don't know yeah so, I, I so just jump, a, okay jump in then yeah. i want to come back to the battery issue yeah well no i i think the battery thing is is a little bit I, I understand that that's a common question that people have. And I think that that's to say that that's not legitimate is kind of dismissive, but at the same time, I think it's a question of what, you know, right? Because nobody walks into a Nissan dealership and goes, man, I heard a couple of years ago, you know, the, the Nissan rogue had a problem with the CVTs. How much are those CVTs? Do those transmissions cost to replace or like, you know, the, the early Honda Odysseys, the transmissions would go out at 104,000 miles, like clockwork. And it was like, you know, you don't have people walking into the Honda stores asking about the price of transmissions. So I think it's a little bit, 
I, I think that there are going to be holdouts. There are going to be people that ask that question, but I think at some point people are just asking questions f- for the sake of kind of like the question that they're really asking is how long is it going to last? Can I depend on it? Is this something I'm going to own where you have to almost read between the lines and say that the question is not the question. The question is really this. Like when someone says, how long does it take to charge? They're not really asking how long it takes to charge. What they're asking is, can I take this car on a road trip? Is this something I can depend on in the way that I've come to depend on these other things? And I think to Steve's point, you really do have a situation where, you know, you're running into people who have questions and these questions aren't being answered in the dealerships. And they're probably not even being answered on clean technica because we respond so quickly and we respond so readily with our own experience. There's one article that, you know, my buddy Matt Teske and I talk about all the time that Zachary Shahan wrote, where whenever someone asks me how long it takes to charge my car, 10 seconds, it takes me 10 seconds when I come in the house to plug in my car, just like I plug in my phone. And that's kind of a cute answer. And it's an answer that resonates with us, but to someone who's not in the business and not in the industry, I think that it's, it's, it's kind of, taking them out of that original original case and i know we're, we're way off topic well, i was no i was gonna bring suggestion. bring that up as well and i think you can read it online as uh, snide and whatever but the actually i mean the, the most common questions every ev owner i'm sure knows how long does it take to charge how far can you drive the how long does you take does it take to charge i honestly and in a very nice way typically uh, respond I'm not sure. I don't know. I really don't because I just plug in when I get somewhere. I unplug when I leave. I don't, I don't think about it. If I, if I'm plugging in at home, you know, I just plug in when it's time to go plug out to unplug when it's time to go. And I think that helps people to realize, Oh, it's not the same as a gas car. You don't stand there and watch it. You don't think about it. And I always feel like often I feel like you can see someone's mind sort of like, Oh, this is a different thing. And they realize, oh, I don't have to think about how long it charges. For some people, they might not appreciate that answer. I I got the five to 10 second answer from some uh, from Tesla forum years ago. And I I like that one sometimes, but it's again, you sort of have to be in the right. You don't want it to come across as, as, uh, you know, arrogant. That's why I think this event that Steve had, and if you saw yesterday on cleantechnica.com, Carolyn Fortuna, did a really, really good piece. Can we mention who Carolyn is? I mean, she's, she's a writer, Steve. Steve. <laughs> she is. And a very good writer too. Yes. Can, she is. can we say anything else or no? <laughs> you mean the fact that she and I uh, happen to be married? Yes. Yes. I just want to make sure that's so Carolyn is Steve's wife and they, yeah, I don't know. I, I have to say, like, as, as a as a feminist, I have to say she stands on her own merits, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Really I just want to. No, I just want to provide the connection. I mean, if if uh, the context. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If you were Steve's boyfriend, I would want to acknowledge, you know, mention that here. And are you kidding me? That'd be the first thing I'd say. I'd be like, yeah. hey, I'm Joe Boris, Steve Hanley's boyfriend. So, yeah, Carolyn, <laughs> they, they both have written for us for years and write about the experience of owning at least a, a Nissan, Nissan Leaf and now a Tesla Model Y. But so so the first, I just want to go back to the, the battery. The other, the third, I think, most common question is, is how long does the battery last? And yeah, I yeah. think this is something that people really are concerned about. And I don't think it's just because of the Leaf. I think it's because people have phones and they have computers and they've seen their batteries die in a few years time. You know, they've seen them lose their 
supposed, you know, 10 hours of charge or whatever. Uh, that's so that's I, an excellent point, Jack. I think that's the connection people often make and they and they think, well, how long is it going to actually last? They've probably seen some fear mongering stories and there's not great answers because we don't have cars that have been on the market for 20 years. So we can't say, oh, look, this car's lasted for well, but 15 that's, or 20 I, years. Right. But again, that's not really true, is it? Because if you have the I mean, the, the Toyota Prius hit the market in the United Yeah, States. but that's a different story because those are very different sized batteries. I mean, I, I do think sure, you can sure you can reference we do them. know. We do know that they're holding 70 to 80 percent of their charge 20 years on. Right. Like it, it's a different kind of battery. I think it's a more nuanced thing. But I think to say that we have no information or that there's not enough information. No, I'm to, not saying there's some not some kind of answer. Yeah, I'm not wrong. saying I mean, we definitely give answers all the time. I'm just saying that you can't <laughs> it's not as convincing of an answer of, oh, I've got an electric car for 15 years and the battery is still in there. You know, it's just you. it's not as simple and convincing for some people. Of course, we, we have right, all, yeah. all kinds of answers we, we provide, but it does always leave. There is always an opening where someone could not trust your expertise on the subject, you know, and the option to lease the battery really takes away that risk factor. And I think this I think is a great option, but I'll let you guys close out on this topic and then maybe we talk more broadly about subscriptions in general and yeah. milking. Well, us. I think we, I think one leads into the other, right? Because for, for someone like me, I would, you know, we talk about options. I would always want the option to buy. It was like when we were talking about our lease episode and how I always lease my cars and that gives me an option to buy it at the end. I want that option to own the battery. And I'm super confused right now. <laughs> you talked on the last episode <laughs> about how you only lease. And now well, you yeah, want, I only lease now the, you car, want but... the option to buy the battery, but well, but that was leasing the, the car anyway. Well, but that was the whole point, right? At the end of my two-year lease or my three-year lease, I have an option to do something. I feel like that's something that we take for granted the ability to buy and own something. And I feel like Steve is probably going to have a lot of a, a lot to say on this, maybe not. But this idea that we no longer own what we pay for, the, that there's a lot of people who are not going to own a car probably ever in their life if they're, you know, especially the younger Zoomers and millennials that are looking at cars go 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars on an average purchase at being almost $50,000. I think that puts it out of reach, car ownership out of reach for a lot of Americans that, you know, 10, 20 years ago would be buying their first car at about 20, 25 years old. And to see that that's going away and being replaced by clever leases, by subscription models, like we talked about at Ferry, where you pay your $5.99 a month for whatever, and you get a vehicle or Volvo that does their subscription model. You know, I, I think it's a really interesting change. I'm not sure it's a positive change. A couple of points on that. Just yesterday, Chevrolet announced that they're no longer building batteries for the Chevy Spark EV. Yes, yes. The car, the, the, some of them are two, the 2017 models. They're only five years old, and there's going to be no further factory support for the battery. I, I, I find that troubling, and uh, I think it's a very bad decision by General Motors to, to, to do that. I'm not even sure. We have uh, a fellow that comments all the time on Clean Technica called Dan Allard, and Dan and I have, have private conversations uh, all the time. And he's like, well, you know, what does this say to people who are thinking of buying an electric car? How do we know that when the lease is up, that 
uh, the, the, or it, even putting aside batteries, all of these electronic gigaws and doodads that we're buying and subscribing to, what if the company says, huh, we don't support those anymore? Yeah, I think that's really interesting, right? Because it's not like, at least it's not yet to the point of having like a model, you know, a double A AA battery or a triple A battery in your car. We're a long way from any kind of standardization of battery packs, especially when you talk about, you know, Nissan is going after solid state batteries and Tesla and Panasonic are building the 4680 or 4860. And I think it's know, 4680, but it's always, hard. I, I, gotta, I gotta go look at There's always <laughs> yeah. editing, right? It's annoying. Professionalism. Yes, yes. And then you get to GM with their Ultium battery and Ford has their blade concept. Do you think that there is that a lot of these issues and a lot of these question marks could be resolved by, and, and man, I hate saying this out loud because like, you know, I, I do have my weird little, you know, free market ideologies there, but like, do you think that if we removed a lot of that and we said, look, these things are all going to run on this battery cell and this is the battery cell we're going to run, you know, that a lot of these questions and concerns go away. Like if I thought that I could go to AutoZone and buy a, you know, a third party or an aftermarket Chevy spark battery, the way that I can a remanufactured engine, you know, in the case yeah, that but, something like that. Is, yeah. Is but that's just, coming? it's just not going to happen. I mean, that's not going to happen with batteries, but, but you know, it's interesting. The, the subscription options provide a kind of out a kind of, you know, security system a, a, an alternative to so you don't have to worry about those things as much but i share your concerns about you know uh, you know just becoming a, a subscription tool uh, of the of the industry and sort of and i mean just on the, the data front i mean more and more the data and the and certain things in the car are not ours that we don't own i mean but yeah as a tesla owners like we don't own yeah. some of the stuff that tesla well, you don't own the data in either, our car right? yeah which is like what you know i'm not a big fan of that creeps me out a little bit but but steve you didn't actually come to your to commenting on your what you think about this sort of shift towards subscriptions and and that kind of thing well i did an article last month that said it was uh, the art title was something like smart car dumb car which do you prefer and that article is actually what got us talking about this by the way uh, and <laughs> when we started talking about getting you on the show i have to admit the comments that we got to that, a lot of our readers are like, I don't know that I need all of this interconnected, over-the-air, downloadable subscription model stuff. I want a car that gets me to work and back, takes my family where we need to go, and I don't want to necessarily uh, be always being uh, dunned by the manufacturer to upgrade to this, upgrade to that, or to renew your subscription for this thing. Uh, I think a lot of people have genuine concerns that at some point they're going to go out and, and sit in the car and the thing is just going to be in a brick that doesn't move and they won't know why and they won't know what to do about it. That's a very legitimate concern. I had, I was on a uh, Reddit forum and the guy was talking about he was doing a ride along with a buddy of his that was a tow truck driver and they went to go repossess a Tesla. And the way that they did it was Tesla had sent him some kind of code, texted him a code and he pulled his tow truck into the parking lot, hit a few buttons on his phone, and the Tesla turned itself on, drove itself out of the parking lot, and loaded itself up onto the flatbed. And the next step from that is, you know, you miss a payment on the car, and the car decides to take itself back to the manufacturer, right, or back to the holding pen. 
So I think that's a, a legitimate concern too, because how many times have we had errors on our bank account where, you know, something didn't get paid or something did get paid or something got paid twice. And now you're looking at, you're going to lose your ability to get around because of some, you know, potentially lose your ability to get around because there's a problem with the subscription or you can't find your password and you're on a business trip a thousand miles away and you've got it written down in a notebook that's in your dresser. I mean, these are all, I think, really legitimate concerns that you just didn't have in a, you know, 1998 Honda Civic. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, wasn't I, an issue. you had the key, you, you go. Yeah, I mean, I I think there is going to be a kind of market segment that opens up with these no frills, low cost, no no connection or or low connection kind of vehicles. I think that's going to be a market that opens up more and you know serves a portion of the population more because the whole industry is getting more and more connected, and that's just going to open that door to for for all these people who don't want that. I, I will ask too. You know, I've I've had we had a BMW i3, and now we have a Tesla Model Three. And the the Model Three will take a lot more, will use a lot more electricity sitting in the parking lot than the i3 ever did, and it's because it, the Tesla is so much more connected and does so much, so many other things. Like it'll you know keep the car some minute, some decent temperature, no matter what, so it doesn't overheat. It'll yeah. you know have Sentry mode on, which uses a ton of can be can be very especially if there's a lot of passing traffic uh passersby can use a lot of energy and i i i appreciate what i have in the tesla but i also sometimes like especially in certain situations you can be like oh i wish i had i wish i had could park the i3 there for a week or two because i know it wouldn't lose any charge steve do you have have you had similar experience with the leaf going from the leaf to the tesla or you don't really notice well, that. I, we haven't with the Tesla yet because uh, we've been here in Florida the whole time since we've owned it. But in the end of June, we're going back to our little camper in uh, Connecticut for maybe 10 weeks or so. And the Tesla is staying here. And this is one of the things that I definitely want to investigate. I need to. Oh, so the core thing power it down for that long. You want to just have it plugged in to it with that well, mobile that like just a basic plug just have it plugged into a basic plug or if you have a level two charger that as well but otherwise for 10 weeks that's a pretty long time it should be fine i'm just answering questions it should be fine know, if you have, the reality but, is that this is a this is a legitimate question because 10 weeks is a long time if you put a car or a motorcycle up for winter storage i mean even an internal combustion car they talk about putting it on a trickle charger like right. If you have a nice car that you don't drive in the winter, you put it on a trickle charger. Otherwise, the battery, you know, the battery dies, which I think might be, frankly, especially in Florida, when you have a lot of snowbirds that probably park stuff, that might be another place this question is coming from. Yeah, and we had the situation, we went to Poland last summer for a month and a half and just left it plugged in, of course, it makes you a little nervous at first. But you have, you know, if you have a camera on it, you can check on it and see how, <laughs> you know, or I mean, you have like a baby just, monitor on the Tesla. Oh, yes, it's, exactly. it's all tucked in. Everything's fine. Yeah. But it is well, something again. Yeah. Steve, we have some concerns about leaving it plugged in. What can I say? There are some people who look at a car with it with, that are plugged in and they're, well, they're offended by that. Why is that car plugged in? Why that car has been plugged in for weeks? There must be something. I'm going to call the police. 
<laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I, I lived in Florida. I know exactly how it is, man. It, it, it's such a strange concept. It's such a strange time that we live in that anything out of the ordinary, you know, I, there's a lot of people that go around with this heightened awareness, right? Like there was another yep. story that I read. A guy was on Twitter and he was doing some programming, like just kind of web programming, web development on an airplane. And one of the other passengers kind of looked over his shoulder and didn't recognize what he was doing on the computer and actually told the stewardess, alerted the stewardess that he was trying to hack into the airplane and mm. take control of the airplane. Oh, and, my gosh. Know, <laughs> uh, of course. He's Where a, was a, this? This, I'll find you the article, but it or not oh. an article, I'll find you the thread, but it was, you know, it was a, a oh. brown skinned guy on an airplane, oh, doing yeah. something that was unfamiliar and to a certain type of person, yeah. probably yeah. named Karen, that's going to be an issue, right? Like, well, I don't I mean, understand what's going people, on. I'm going to call the authorities. I think it's worth noting that technology has changed so much. And you can say five years or 10 years, let alone you know, 30 or 40 years that people are have it's very overwhelming and it's and you get all kinds of wild ideas about what something does or doesn't do or can or can't do but i totally i mean i i totally get uh steve's concern you know living in a place with a shared parking facility i would be nervous as heck to do that you know i would probably prefer asking a friend to occasionally plug it occasionally unplug it yeah plug it in or unplug it you know just but yeah well wasn't abb building that like robotic arm it was almost like a snake arm that would plug itself into your car at one point that that was tesla that was tesla yeah that was tesla's snake charger the snake charge oh that we're supposed to get that in two years right everything's two years away I think it was supposed to be ready for the la to new york city robo taxi road trip Okay. Well, that, well, yeah, because then 2019. you don't have to get out. <laughs> 2019. End of 2019. I remember sitting in Detroit when Tesla still did auto shows and they were talking about bringing battery swap stations all over the country. And they, I, I, I was right there listening. I'm to not convinced that was ever a serious effort. I think it was for California credits, but I'm, you know, that's, that was kept very, whether it was or not, no one would know unless you're in a very tight circle. Exactly, exactly. But I think, you know, we, we're, we're, we're almost dancing around the same topics that we, we decided to talk about. But I think that what that really shows is that the industry is changing. Like we are, you know, I hate to say the word paradigm shift and it's like I'm a 1990s NBA program, but that's kind of what happened, right? That's who I am. So we really are seeing this like kind of shift in the way that we approach car ownership as Americans and it's affecting really every generation that's currently alive and currently driving. And we don't know what that's going to look like in five years. And I think that that's to be able to sit here and say five years from now, I think the auto industry, the biggest industry in North America is going to be fundamentally different in the way that it operates and in the way that it deals with and treats its customers I, I think it's just staggering. It's kind of a really exciting time to be alive because like we really don't know. You know Zachary, I, I wanted to uh, circle back to your idea about um, automobiles that are less complex and less expensive. And the, the example that makes you uh, correct is Yugo. Now, nobody remembers the Yugo anymore, but which was really 
a rehash of a Fiat 127. I, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were it talking was, about a French tennis player. You go. It, no. Was, no. <laughs> it was not a great car, but for a period of time, it was the most, it was in more demand than any other car in the U.S. market. People were going crazy trying to find a Yugo because it was cheap. It was uh, relatively indestructible and uh, it didn't cost much to own or maintain or insure. And there was a huge market for it. Uh, the other car was the Hyundai Excel that first came out. I knew a fellow uh, years ago who had seven children. And they were all, uh, they all wanted a car and, and, and daddy was a lawyer and he could afford it, but he was damned if he was going to go out and buy them all a Mercedes, he bought them all a Hyundai Excel. And listen, those little Hyundai Excels were great cars. Yeah. You know, I, that was really what kind of, what kind of put Hyundai on the map. And I think you would have seen something like that from Yugo if they had been able to keep going. But I think just their geographical location made that kind of impossible and i think the factory even got bombed in the 90s didn't it yeah i think you're right yeah so i mean oh. i but i think that it, it is interesting to see that if you look Wait, at who bombed what, the factory what there was there were used to former czechoslovakia and there was oh. problems okay unrest <laughs> but um the other thing i want to say about hyundai and the thing that in my mind put them over the top and made them a successful brand in north america was their 10-year unlimited mileage warranty. Absolutely. No other manufacturer ever did that. Huh. And they did it. And and uh, I'll tell you, in the, in the 50s, Chrysler had an unlimited warranty because they were struggling. That was the first time Chrysler was bailed can, can out. You, can you imagine if Chrysler had an unlimited warranty today? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be dead. Well, <laughs> it'd be so here's, dead. Here's what happens, Zach. Back in the 50s, there were a lot of people who used to be traveling salesmen. People yeah. who would put on 100, 120, 150,000 miles a year carrying their their uh, their demo case around in the trunk and going all over America and selling stuff. And every one of them went out and bought a Chrysler. Right, because, right. Because, paper, because they had paper an, map in the glove box. Because they had an unlimited warranty. And that practically drove Chrysler into bankruptcy because... Nobody ever got rid of their car. They just kept coming in for warranty. Yeah. But why yeah. would you? I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at a scenario now where if you look at what the response to a lot of these questions has been, you have Tesla putting an eight-year warranty on the driveline. You have third-party companies coming out to warranty the rest of the vehicle. I think that that is the same kind of angle that they're going to have to take with the EVs and just say, look, we're going to guarantee this thing for 10 years. And, you know, do you really want to keep this? Do you really want to be driving this thing in 10 years? And then most people go, no, not really. Okay. So buy it and drive it for 10 years and it'll be fine. Yeah. I was going to say earlier, you know, I've been doing these U.S. auto industry reports for the past few years showing which brands grow and which shrink. Even now comparing across a couple a couple of years back to, to look at pre-COVID times. And it's been fascinating. Some of these companies just absolutely bleeding enormous amounts of sales. And Hyundai and Kia have been the two, you know, legacy automakers that have done particularly well. I mean, there's a couple. Yeah, Subaru uh, has done really well. Yeah, there's well a couple other, like, you know, Porsche's had good periods, but but Kia and Hyundai have consistently been very well perform good performing brands. And I, I wasn't aware of that 10 year, but that might explain part of it. I, I think people have also just come to trust them, the reliability, the 
value for cost, that kind of thing. But it comes to sort of this bigger, you know, so looking for some broader points we could end with. And I mean, I think on the one hand, you have the industry moving toward this connected, connected, connected so much and electrifying and like just doing everything they can to get the most margin out of cars because it's a low margin business often. And I think in this transition time, it's very difficult because of all these changes. But as it as we grow into it, I, there will be more of an opening for us, I think, lower cost, simpler options where people say, okay, I don't want to pay a premium for all this stuff. I want the lower cost option. Yeah. And that's sort of the Hyundai or Kia position or the, you know, whatever, you know, or if you even think about your fuel economy of Toyotas and Hondas, it's sort of the kind of just, I want to be frugal. I want to save my money. Uh, and we see that already in China with some of these brands, some of these models that are low frills and low cost and sell enormously. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we will see that as the market matures. And I'm curious, like when we see it or, and who and if it's yeah. VinFast or if it's like an arm of Ford or whatever that does it more. You know, I don't know. I, I'm going to throw a prediction out there. I think what you're going to see in the next couple of years is going to be a lower end car and back to infotainment it's going to ship without an infotainment system you're going to have a dock and you're going to be able to put your ipad or your iphone or whatever it is and just plug it in and you're going to use that for your navigation you're going to use that for your audio and entertainment and like the car might have speakers but they'll be bluetooth speakers and you'll connect to that you're not going to have a factory radio you're not going to have a factory touchscreen all of that stuff is going to go away. You might not even have a factory instrument cluster, right? Because the GPS on your phone will tell you your speed. So I think a lot of that is going to be, you know, you're going to download the app for your car, connect to the car with Bluetooth, and they're going to eliminate a lot of these costs and a lot of these things. And, you know, I think that's going to cut several thousand dollars off the price of admission. And quite frankly, I think it's going to make the car have more longevity, because, you know, I can already see in, in my Volvo that's from 2018, I can already see the, the kind of age of the infotainment system not keeping up with the latest version of Android or iOS. And I think that by getting rid of that big screen in the middle of the car, let me just put a brand new tablet on there and let that thing run the, you know, the audio and the podcast and everything else. I think you're going to see that from someone and I'll be real curious to see who it is. I think maybe Fiat, maybe Jeep have the kind of brand, uh, that kind of youthful brand angle that they can get away with something like that. I think Hyundai and Kia have moved way too far up market. I don't think you'll find too many people walking into a Kia dealership to buy like a super cheap car. They understand that they're buying a Telluride. You know, they're, they're comparing that Kia Telluride to the Mercedes Benz. They're comparing you know, that, that Hyundai Santa Fe, they're comparing that to a Jeep Cherokee. I think that they, those brands have already moved well beyond that aspect of it. Well, there was, a, 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 I think the head of uh, Kia North America last week at the, at the New York Auto Show who said, we're not America's value brand anymore. That's not who we are. And I'm like, exactly. really? <laughs> well, That's who's, who's North America's value brand? If you look at it just in terms of who's buying it, you have Nissan and Mitsubishi have the highest rate of secondary financing and, and loan default, I think, in the industry. So th- those are your two brands that are your value. Well, I would say Nissan and Fiat have been uh, the bottom. Like they've, they've been just performing the worst the past few years in the market. But yeah, I mean, they're chasing the money. They're chasing the profits of the higher higher market. Um, I w- there are some 
I think is it might just be Chinese companies now, or did Honda do this as well, where they they've released concepts or planned vehicles, maybe even some on the market in China, with the, exactly what you talked about, Joe, with no where you use your phone. And there's also scooter companies have been doing this much longer. Scooter companies have been doing this, yeah. NIU does this. New Genuine. and Scoot did it, and well, Scoot, yeah, that's sort of, it. A scooter sharing program that started in San Francisco. Steve, have you written? Have you you've probably written about this with some of these companies, right? Or do you recall which companies have been offering this or talked about this already? Uh, the Joe is the expert on uh, the scooters and bicycles. No, I, no, not the scooters. The the car companies. I mean, there there's some some car companies that have already started yeah, I'd shifting. Yeah, i curious in China if, if that's a thing. I do know one little bit of trivia. I know BMW had to redo their entire infotainment system in uh, in China because it didn't have enough karaoke features. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's real because that's like that was the thing that you know you have your self driving car in traffic. You want to be able to sing karaoke with your friends. So, Joe, I'm listening to your vision of the uh, the the less complex, the less expensive car, and I'm my mind is saying I'd buy a car like that. But does it have to be? But here's the thing: it doesn't have to be less expensive, right? Because if you go back to let's say Porsche, Porsche, who is profitable and successful and aspirational, you have your basic 911, and then you have the Club Sport, right? Which does not have power seats, does not have power windows, gets rid of the air conditioning. You're stuck with a manual transmission. And that car is $4,000 more. Porsche is really good <laughs> at sucking money out of people. That's why, why it, it is. The but think about it. Think so about smart. it. Is that, is that a premium? Is the ability to disconnect from the rest of the world? Is the ability to say, to just get in your car and drive it? Is that something that is a budget offering? Or is that a luxury offering? Is that a premium offering? that people would be more willing to spend money on. I mean, I could very easily see something like an E30 BMW come out from BMW. That's a manual transmission, no power steering, very simple seats. And they say, dude, ultimate driving machine right here. This is the one. And, and everybody really say, wow, that's awesome. I would pay a premium for that. That's interesting. I, I think it's going to be a huge portion of the market, but I think it'll be on the budget side. I think it'll just be a way to, yeah, to reach people on the, who, who don't, who, yeah, who have a you know, smaller budget and want just no frills. And I mean, all the people, there's tons of rich people who have driven uh, Priuses and other Hondas uh, just because they're not into like buying a Lambo just because they can. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I the think there will income- be, yeah, I mean, I think there will be a huge market for that, and it will span all all of society. But it will definitely be tailored, I think, to the I assume to the lower cost end, since it could really cut a lot of costs. Well, I'm concerned that the price of EVs is going up and fairly dramatically. I have everything Tesla, price of everything. Well, I have a Tesla Model Y, and since I ordered it last August, it now costs nine thousand dollars more than it did then. Whoa. I'm not sure I would buy that card today. Yeah, I think we have to come back to that topic. But I, I, I was just saying, I think, it's, I think it's funny. A lot of people sold their cars or traded them in because of that, because their value went up so much. But then you have to buy a car where the costs went up so much. So it's not really like, it's a very appealing if you could sell your car and not not buy another one. But it's just... Uh, it's well, been... we, we have that going on here in my condo community in South Florida. Everybody's like, well, my condo is worth twice what it was two years ago. Yes, it is. 
and so is everything else that you want to replace it with. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's always appealing for like two seconds. I'm like, man, I could trade in this car for so much more than I've, and I'm like, but I, how would I then get anywhere? <laughs> yeah, but then I have to buy a car, right? Exactly. I got, someone offered me, I have this little Honda that, that we have like as a winter car, like as a backup car. Like literally, I think it got driven like 1500 miles in two years. And one of my neighbors said he'd give me 10 grand for it. I was like, I think I bought it for 10 grand, <laughs> like 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there is, there are a lot of households with two or three cars who could shrink. I mean, this is a big way to cut costs in a household that's very viable in, in the U S um, especially, but yeah, that, that's a, definitely an option or, or, you know, sell your car and move someplace where you can walk and bike uh, for yeah. transportation. Well, but let's, I think we let's be- do the next round table. That'll yeah. be the next round table is like, should I, should Joe sell his car? <laughs> uh, that's Here's a good an one. Interesting anecdote. Like that. When we, when we ordered the Tesla, we said, okay, Tesla, how much will you give us for our, our 2015 Nissan Leaf? And they asked a few questions and they said, eh, we'll give you $6,400 for it. And we're like, Huh, that's, that's low. That's low. So then we heard about Carvana. And I'm not here to sell Carvana, but I'll tell you, we got in touch with them. It was all online. In about three minutes, I entered the VIN and the condition and so forth and so on. They made us an offer of ten thousand eight hundred dollars for the car. Do we have there to go. do we have to declare this as a sponsor now because you just pitched nope. Carvana? No, I'm just kidding. No, no we're <laughs> no, gonna no, beat no, it totally, out. We're gonna beat it out. They'll never know who it is. No. I call it beep. No, they told I, me ten thousand dollars. No, I like that. that's that's a really good story, really useful. I think that a lot of people just do it. It's easier to trade it in uh, to the where you're getting your next. But I I loved the, that story of yours that you guys wrote about that. Well, I think we beat the heck out of the connected car subscriptions. We sort of didn't really come back to the the fear of them making us subscribe to everything. And I don't know any oh, final words on whether. It. Or, I we mean, we, I think we sort of came to the idea that there would be alternatives for those of us who would rather not. I think we fantasized about alternatives. Like we, we, we've created this idea that someone is going to make a product for us that is not connected. And we've sort of just kind of patted ourselves on the back that like, yes, that is the answer. Someone will save us. (laughs) We're just going to go go to bed. (laughs) If you want to lead into the next session, uh, here's my prediction. The Chinese will build inexpensive, reliable, well-regarded automobiles, and they will have to make a decision whether they're going to build them in the U.S. to avoid the import tariff or whether they're just going to exclude the U.S. completely. Oh, that's a good one. And as they say, well, we'll leave you with that. We'll leave you with that. Yeah, that's I was going to ask for final comments on it, but I, I like that. Yeah, that's I a think, good one. I think we got a winner. So Steve Steve yeah. <laughs> won Steve won the roundtable this time. <laughs> we definitely would love to have you back again on the show. So everybody listening at home, make sure you know you subscribe to the podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever you use. I like SoundCloud. You know, they don't always make it up there, but uh, SoundCloud's got some some cool features there associated. And uh, I, I think we had another another thing we wanted to talk about with the Patreon. Yeah, uh, and also, yeah, people can also contribute three dollars a month or, or more. Some some people contribute a hundred dollars a month. On... Well, if you do twenty five, you get the free shirt. Yeah, Ooh. so you can do that on Patreon or on on future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe that's future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe and this is a new thing we're doing clean technica roundtables with clean technica writers we have others who were invited today but couldn't make it because of the timing but we will have others on in the future where we have clean technica writers oh, steve's the best one hot news <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought this was great fun yeah, it's um, awesome stuff man 
Thanks if for you want on. me to do it next week, I'll be doing it from the fantail of a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. <laughs> if you have Wi-Fi or game. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. All right, guys. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.